Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts. Bless us, direct us, and send us out living member letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. I have a brother. Let's call him Andrew, because that's his name. He is my only sibling, and he is my younger sibling, the latter being a fact that he will never forget. Both of my parents were the eldest, the respectable one, the responsible one, the conventional one. And so when I came along, they knew what to do. They raised an eldest, little them, with all of the attention and expectations and pressures therein. And I complied, attempting to do my best to achieve, to conform, and generally be seen and not heard. I like conventions and pleasing people so much, I decided to work for the church. I even married an eldest. And so when my brother came along six years after me, I am not sure if any of us knew exactly what to do. We knew what to do basically, physically, and we love him unconditionally, but with younger siblings, isn't, there isn't all of that angst and projection so we really weren't sure what to do. Ellen and I discovered this curiosity with Henry. With Anna, we, or at least I, were so terrified of breaking her or causing some irreparable harm that every decision was filled with anxiety and doubt. If I don't make this lunch correctly, she will not get into Harvard. (laughs) But with Henry, that strangely evaporated. With Andrew, I tried to do my part as the eldest brother and organize and order my younger brother to the best of my ability. And I quickly realized this was a futile endeavor. For Andrew cannot and will not be contained. He does not follow. When one tries to encourage him to conform to some convention, he does not get angry. He does not spout some anti-establishment screed. He merely smiles disarmingly and does his own thing. And not you, not me, not anybody can stop him. With Andrew, we knew we were in trouble early. You can tell in the family photographs. In the deliciously horrible Olin Mills gallery that still hangs in my mother's house, You can see a moment in Andrew's eyes when he decided, this is nuts, and I am not going to be part of anymore. 
We also should have known that we were in for it one year at the church Halloween party. The high school youth group, we were in charge of the haunted house, and we turned the Sunday school wing into this little shop of horrors that would have frightened anyone and probably caused hundreds and thousands of dollars in therapy. But Andrew, he was unfazed. He walked through calmly, blithely, as if he was just walking down a city street. And he would frequently stop one of the ghouls or ghosts he met along the way for idle chit-chat. Andrew has no fear. In high school, beloved Andrew took it to another level. His clothes. For those of you who know the term, he was a gothic punk. And he went all out. For those of you who do not know what that means, let's say there was black leather and makeup and spikes. And until then, I did not know that Elmer's glue was a hair product. My father and I in our golf shirts and khaki pants were very confused. But Andrew did not care, nor should he have cared. He was who he was, and the opinions of the world meant nothing. I thought, I thought, mind you, that I was angry with him for being so rebellious. Perhaps I was jealous. Perhaps I needed to get over myself, a condition that continues to this day. When I was in college, at home on break, one Sunday afternoon I took Andrew to lunch at a local barbecue joint. And while this incident was small, I remember it quite vividly. As we were walking through the restaurant to be seated, Andrew in his full jangling regalia and me in my preppy best, I noticed this guy staring at him. Nobody special, no one important, just some so-and-so. And perhaps I am paranoid, that happens a lot. And perhaps I am overprotective, I do that a lot too with those I love. <clears throat> but I saw in the face of this stranger contempt and judgment as my brother walked past his table. And a well of my own anger grew in response. Anger and shame. Shame for how I had judged my beloved brother. And I wanted to grab and shake that guy and say through clenched teeth, don't you look at him that way. Don't you, you don't know the beautiful, creative, loyal, loving child of God that is before you. Do not judge. That's my job. I've tried to be a better brother since then. I don't often succeed. I indulge in judgment. I try to remember my genesis what, when God created all things and saw that they were good. Which means I am good. But that also means that someone very different than me is also good. And these two goods, by the grace of God, can and should coexist and perhaps even thrive by interacting with one another. I could not be more grateful and proud of the man that my brother has become. And he still has no fear. I wonder if this someone, the apostles tattletale to Jesus in today's gospel, or Eldad and Medad who were prophesying in the camp in our reading from Numbers, I wonder if they looked like Andrew.
perhaps less spiky hair and Doc Martens, but I would wager that these street preachers who were doing deeds of power in God's name were no less different and no less judged. The apostles play their role as the eldest sibling very well, filled with fear and incredulity. Their tone is elementary school-esque. He's not doing it right. He looks funny. He's not one of the cool kids. Tell him to knock it off, Jesus. The ever-patient Jesus responds appropriately. Do not stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever, whoever is not against us is for us. And then Jesus uses some very harsh imagery. Millstones around the neck, hell, unquenchable fire. This is a real fun reading from the gospel this morning. But he uses these images to impress upon the apostles the woe that will befall those who stand in the way of God. The job of the disciple is not to impose convention or predictable patterns or human constructs on the wily work of the Holy Spirit. The job of the disciple is to be creative, to be salt, to be zesty, to be spicy. Have salt in yourselves, Jesus says, and then be at peace with one another. In other words, the disciples should be out there salting the world with the Spirit instead of worrying what they look like. God cannot be contained, so don't even try. Instead, be fearless, and God will be with you. On our website... We declare in bold type that our mission at the Chapel of the Cross is welcoming the stranger. And in case you don't already know, there are some strange people out there. But as St. Benedict once said, all are to be welcomed as Christ, because by doing so we may be entertaining angels unawares. Moreover, in case you didn't realize it, in about two weeks... We have company coming. And how many of those are strange and how many of those are salty? How should we welcome them? How can we hear? How can we empower? And how can we inspire them? How can we be salty? Where can we partner? Where can we support? Where can we discern the mission of Jesus? What zestiness can we celebrate? Whatever we do, Jesus tells us to leave fear, to leave judgment, to leave conformity behind. Instead, let's be a little spicy. Amen.